Welcome to the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. Weekly, we will be interviewing amazing chiropractors from around the world, finding out how they made their vitality shift. If you're a chiropractor that either wants to just move your practice away from treating pain and conditions, or if you just want to stay inspired, this podcast is for you. For more information on past shows, please visit www.drdonmcdonald.com and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. This is Dr. Don McDonald, your host. And today I'm heading down to California and I get to interview a chiropractor that we've been following lately on Facebook. And, and so a lot of you follow Brandy and you, you, you know the Brandy has her long form Facebook posts that are long that people read and go, oh my gosh, I have to go through everything because usually... Uh, you know, people have the uh, attention span of a goldfish or actually less than a goldfish, I think. And that's only like two or three seconds. So you have to actually really like the content in order to read through them. And my next guest, um, he has a lot of long form uh, Facebook posts as well. And if you haven't uh, followed him yet, I'd really recommend that you do follow him. Um, and it's it's all on on uh, nutrition and the way the body is, is processing things and uh, we work with a lot of chiropractors around the world right now that are feeling a little bit burnt out and the whole world's kind of flipped away from our, our paradigm and uh, chiropractors are feeling like they're kind of burnt out, maybe gained a little bit of weight, lost some energy, think, think that their adrenal glands are burnt out. And I thought this would be a great conversation to, um, to, to have with all of you. And, and the cool thing about chiropractic is, is as we learn more to help ourselves be healthier, we help all of our practice members that we're with too. So my guest today is Dr. Don Klum, uh, the son of Dr. Jerry Klum, and uh, he's a graduate of Life, Life West, which I was joking with him before, like big surprise that he went to Life West when his dad was running the show. Uh, he graduated in 2000. And then we'll get a little bit into his story, but he's kind of like uh, the littlest hobo, that old show on TV. I'm, I'm aging myself where, where he seems <laughs> to travel all around the world, uh, but I'm really excited to get into his story and then and then give some um, tips for our chiropractors listening out there to see if we can help us all get a little more vital so that we can serve our people better. So Dr. Don Klum, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. That's awesome. So so how was it growing up? Um, um, with uh, Dr. Jerry Klum as your dad? Well, I don't, I don't know. He was his dad back then. <laughs> totally you know, yeah. even, even now when people call me Dr. Klum, I go like this. You know, you, you look to see where he is. <laughs> oh yeah, we got seven of them in our family. So I don't know who they're talking to and it definitely doesn't feel like me. But no, it was good. Uh, it wasn't a traditional uh, second generation upbringing because he was, he was involved in school and the politics and all that. So he didn't have a practice. So right. I didn't get that, that side of it. Uh, when I went to life, I did my undergrad of life in nutrition I met a lot of second generation uh, kids going through school and it was a totally different experience. It was, it was, but so I think it helped me to not have that. Cause then I looked at other things and I was able to kind of make my own way. That's interesting. And so you decided you were going to go nutrition. You did nutrition first and then you went chiropractic second or how did that go? I wanted, yeah, I wanted to get the bachelor's. So I went for nutrition first. I had no, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And then right. going through school, I was very hate straight, you know, a BJ Palmer upper cervical atlas only, uh, very opinionated, very stubborn, uh, all that kind of stuff. Very arrogant with that. And then o over time in practice. And the main thing that happened is when I came back to the States, we were out of the country for 10 years in Costa Rica for eight, Spain for two. When we came back where kids were getting to be middle school age and we went to some of these events, we just saw trouble everywhere. Kids were overweight. And I couldn't yeah. believe it. they're sitting there watching the assembly and their butts are hanging out of their pants are just like big, right? And then right. I went to the PTA meetings and I, I saw why. So were the parents. And right. I just, it just really, it really hit hard because we were out of it and then we came back into it. And I said, okay, I, we're going to do something. Because I didn't want my family to go down that route, right? right. Because that's yeah. the default, apparently. You know? <laughs> I tell people, if you're not actively improving your health, you will passively lose it in the world we got now. And so I didn't want that. So it became a proactive thing. It was for me and my family first. And right. then it just evolved from there. And I liked it. I fought it for a long time. I don't want to do nutrition. This and that. I don't know. Yeah. But I got over it. Well, and, and it's it's important. And, and again, a lot of, um, it's funny because 
when we work with chiropractors, sometimes um, as they go through uh, school and maybe maybe once they're in practice and they feel like maybe they're not succeeding as well as they could, maybe they think, hey, I'll add a new revenue stream and I'll add nutrition and I'll add some stuff, w- which sometimes it becomes a distraction at first. So it's funny because we when we work with chiropractors, often we bring their focus back to what we do, which is which is so important. And then once you get rolling on that, then you, then you, you got to make sure that you're vital. And so it's funny because when, once you kind of get rolling in the practice for me, we don't really do nutrition for our people, but we have people around us that we can refer to for nutrition. But I think we can always continue to learn even for ourselves, just to kind of maximize our potential. And it sounds yeah. like that's kind of what your interest is in. Well, yeah, it's very hard to dabble. And it's why I totally. can't, can't, you know, play both sides of that line there. And so when we opened up, we came back to New York, we opened up in New York, we got a space and we had a gym in there. I got a CrossFit box type gym in there and I ran the gym. I did the nutrition. My wife did the adjusting with for the chiropractic. We had a wellness psychologist and a, and a sports masseuse there and we made it into a pretty integrative concept. And nice. so we got, to, we got to be able to do a little bit of everything and we just kind of gravitated to those different uh, roles in there. And it, was, it, was, it worked fine. We liked it. That's awesome. And so you like once you graduated, did you go to Costa Rica and then practice? Yeah, we went to Costa Rica right out of when I graduated. Dana was already uh, out about six months. She went to Sherman. And then uh, we went down to Costa Rica. We worked for Life University at the Olympic Committee. And Ah. we we were charged to get that part of that going and get it paying. It was free and stuff like that. So we did that for a year. And then that program didn't continue the same way. So we liked it there. So we stayed there. And over the next seven years, we opened and bought and did offices. We had like seven offices going and had a lot of fun. Great place to raise kids. Beautiful place. Beautiful people. Fantastic culture. Yeah. Uh, kids were fully bilingual. And then we got to a point where like, all right, we're going to go back to the States. And my friend, old roommate from chiropractic college in, in Spain, is like, hey, you don't go back to the States until you come see what we got going on here. So I went and he had this little office that he was, this guy was leaving. He's like, you can, you can have it, take it, you know, whatever you want. And the euro was $1.60 back then. It was yeah. all cash, like cash bills, not just right. like cash, cash bills. Like every visit, they didn't even pay ahead of time. It's like every day you left, oh, this is what I earned. Office, this, that, this, me. Great. I loved it. It was great. <laughs> and so, um, and then you practiced there for two years? Yeah. Practiced there for two years. Yeah. yeah. And then what, what made you decide to, to move away from there? It was just well, kind of like it was enough time or? We, we went there with some, different expectations. And when we arrived, we went there. I went, when I got there, I've been doing Spanish lay lectures and my communications for eight years. I had a script that I, I do the same health talk twice a week for years, right? Okay. By the script. And I get there and no one understood me. It was ah. frustrating. They, I would say, I know I said it in good Spanish. Costa Rica is very, very clear textbook Spanish. And they would turn to my CA and say, what did he say? Like, and it was, it was rough. So that was a little bit of friction there. It wasn't quite as easy as I thought. Right. And just, we got to a point the association was looking for some help legally. We had uh, enacted the first law for Costa Rica, in Costa Rica for chiropractic. So we were looking to do the same thing when we realized, man, that's a long trajectory over there. So we were yeah. either in it for a long time or we had to kind of figure out and get like out. Like cut it short a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And we wanted the kids to middle school and high school to be in the States because there's nowhere like it for opportunity, sports, right. Cub Scouts, extracurricular science, just, right. just don't have it. Right. Yeah. So then you move back and then you, you kind of, since then you, you said you kind of have like the virtual practice now. And so maybe explain that a little bit. Well, we did move around a lot. And then we went back to New York. We had the wellness office and then I had people that I was still trying to keep in touch with. So it, it was kind of by default, I was kind of working with these people. And then uh, that's when I started to get into it, just kind of part-time, just online. I had a good friend who did the website and stuff and just, it was okay. It was just, it was just a, a hobby for a while. And then I did nutrition as part of our program in the in in the office yeah and yeah a lot of cellular level detox and i got into studying that it wasn't until and then my my friend darren white chiropractor's wife's a chiropractor he came out to visit and darren had started a screening company like spinal screening to go to businesses and get get people in the office he had four four of them got together Fast forward 15 years, it's now one of the lo- is a very large, very profitable uh, population health company that that takes that oversees like a 1.5 million lives. You know, it's it's wow. amazing. And so when he came out to see me, he loved what I was doing. We were doing great stuff with diabetics and post chemo people, just 
here's great stuff. And he's like, can you translate that into a population? I'm like, I don't know. So you want to try? I said, sure. He said, okay. So long story short, sold the stuff there, moved out to Washington, and I started writing and researching uh, programs, health programs for the population health company, which they contract big companies, like 10,000 people or more. They do a platform. People opt in. They get points. The points, they get swag or money off their insurance, things like that. Nice. And so I wrote, the main thing I wrote was a diabetes prevention program. The first one validated diabetes prevention program that went against the national. It was not the traditional thing. Right. So we went and we learned a lot with that. But I, I really had to get into the mechanisms and understand this because these big companies, some of them had 100,000 employees. Right. They had their own medical boards and their scientific boards that you had to get through. Right. And that scared the heck out of me, right? Here's this chiropractor <laughs> coming, right? Going to talk about diabetes prevention. And uh, so I, I, I was... I was armed to the teeth. I was ready. Luckily, nothing bad, but I, I had a learning curve. That, yeah. that world is very conservative. So like, I couldn't say things like high fat. We had to be fat, smart fat, right? right. Couldn't say high intensity interval training because they can't do things. That's CrossFit and they'll kick you out. So we said variable output exercise, right? <laughs> and you couldn't say fasting or alternate. You know, so we would say alternate day eating times. You know, things like that. So, and it worked and we launched it and it did great in, in those programs. That program in particular has gone to thousands of people now. Great outcomes, biometrics, data proving. It, it actually lowered all their metabolic risk factors where the national program has yet to do that. All they can do is lose a little bit of weight in, the, in that one. But we changed cholesterol. We changed blood pressure. We changed uh blood sugar and waist circumference, you name it. And it kept, we, and was validated every six months, year after year. It was great. It was fantastic. That's awesome. And that led to a sleep program that led to a fast fitness, uh, mood and food, a metabolic syndrome program, uh, a stress resilient, building resilience to stress program, all that kind of stuff. And that's when I got into making these programs. That's cool. Now, if you, if you're okay, so we have chiropractors out there. We are vitalistic chiropractors and, and, and we have the philosophy of chiropractic and we, we know about like salutogenesis and all that kind of stuff. And if someone's just not up to snuff too much in nutrition, um, what, what would be kind of the top things that you'd suggest the chiropractors look into even for just for, even for themselves and then also kind of lead their, their practice members towards, or well, what do you my think whole program, I built the whole program based off of the second half of the sophomore text in the chiropractic textbook by Stevenson from 1927. It's all in there. It's right. all in there. Diet, nutrition, and it all, it tells you what, how they view it and how it either agrees with chiropractic or chiropractic approves of it. And so it, it doesn't absorb it. It doesn't deny it. It's very, it's, it's awesome. And so cool. I use that for that's how I set up everything and the way I approach it. So you're talking about basic nutritional habits now. Mm. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, or just or what be the most common things you'll see that that people can address? Because it's funny because we're well. First of all, we'll talk about um, because we always talk about the stress response because we're always talking about decreasing sympathetic dominance. And uh, you did have a really cool post talking about uh, the adrenals versus insulin and how oh. we always kind of go after the adrenals. Maybe you can maybe just break that down a little bit for us. Sure. Yeah. My model, I coined it and confuses everybody, the neuroendocrine tone. And basically, nice. I took BJ's safety pin cycle and I rerouted it to more modern understanding of the nervous system. And the, the, cause I was like, the brain cell does not innervate the, the tissue cell like they thought. Right. So there's a gap. What's the gap? And that became the hormone neurotransmitters. And that's the neuroendocrine connection, right? And yeah. so brought that together. And then that's where this came from the, the sympathetic parasympathetic versus the hormonal uh, rest, uh, hormonal growth and repair. They're all kind of, that's where you get to play with all of those and they come together. Right. So it's pretty cool. And we talked about the adrenals, you know, adrenal fatigue. That's a big one, right? Yeah. Adrenal insufficiency. And then, but when we're looking at it really on a hormonal and interactive way, you notice that only a third of our cortisol and those hormones are made from the adrenals. Actually, a third of it's made in our fat cells and another third's made in our brain. Because remember, cortisol is anti-inflammatory. It's like natural prednisone. Right? Right. And so, and when we burn fat, 
that actually is an inflammatory process. It's an immune process. And so that makes sense that it's there. It's there in the brain because the brain is very sensitive. And so we, we beat up the adrenals like you're doing this to our whole body when in reality it could be coming from all sorts of stuff. And so right. we don't have to do that. We don't have to slam the poor adrenals. If we work more holistically together, you see some big changes without having to do that. So, and then there's insulin. Well, it's cortisol and insulin. They're the two bullies on the playground, right? right. They, they, one's bad, the other one's a minion, and they get together and they, they mess with every other hormone on the block. It, they just, it messes everything up when they're out of control. Right. And insulin and cortisol are some of the only hormones that you can activate anytime you want, right? right. With a thought, with a perception, with food, not eating food, with activity, physical activity or exercise, without it, sleep or not, all of it. And so we can have that thing cranking 24-7 and we do. And therefore, that messes with all the other ones, right? And when insulin's there, it's magnifying cortisol. When cortisol's there, it magnifies insulin. And then they both team up on the poor thyroid and you get that all whacked out. And together, they're, they're really doing The sex hormones get thrown off. Yeah. You know, the uh, downstream... Uh, uh, things like the neurotransmitter receiving centers, they get thrown off. It just, it just messes with that. It's like a storm going on on that level. So. Now, if you, when you're, when you're working, cause it's funny, cause we, we've always heard lots about the adrenals and cortisol, right? Um, and just not as many people talk about the insulin thing. And so like when you work with someone, is it kind of very unique to them or, or is there kind of a, like something that you're going to hit first if you're working on someone or, no, or it's, a suggestion of someone? No, I mean, I, we, it's like a chiropractic exam, you know, a yeah. report. You, you know, when they walk in, you can look at them and see what you're going to do. Well, you got to go through some of them, some of it's for you. Mm-hmm. But the reality is there's a trifecta of hormone issues always. Cortisol, insulin, thyroid. Right. Just got to find out which one's dominant, right? Which one, what's the hierarchy? Yeah. There's always uh, a gut issue going on. There's always a detox needed, whether it's cellular or heavy metal or a, a neuro... Uh, a neurotoxin type of thing, you know, you figure that out, right? But the, but I do six month programs, so I got time. Right. I don't do anything shorter than that, you know. I tell yeah. them this because it's a lifestyle program. What I like about my program, I like about that book, is everything I do as part of the core program is lifestyle, is is modern because I research it, metabolic lifestyle, and you don't need any any other supplements or medications or products to get get to move that that needle like we do. If you want to use things like that or the client wants to use, or I think something is needed, we can use it, but then it's truly a supplement. It's supplementing what they're already doing. And I explained to them, the body is a demand-driven machine, right? not a supply-driven machine. If it was a supply-driven machine, I would just take 400 grams of protein every day and I look like a bodybuilder, right? Right. Done. But don't, why? I know I went through that. It doesn't work like that. So, but if you do the right things and create the demand in the body and you give them some special, some things that, that are, you know, very efficient, very effective for the body, some raw materials, it picks it up and it works really well. Otherwise, you know, you pour it all over, it doesn't work. Great. Cool. Talk a little bit about, um, a little bit about fasting. Cause I know fasting, there's some confusion out there. And, and like, I know you talk in your Facebook posts about people just not eating for like one day or something like that. And they think it's fasting. Maybe just talk about what, what is fasting and what's the benefits of it just so that people can understand yeah. it a little bit better. You would think something as simple as not eating for a while would be straightforward, but man, this gets messed up all the time. I just got kicked out of a fasting group on Facebook yesterday. You know, just, just it, there, we get just like anything else. We get very dogmatic. This is a definition. This is this. And I back up and I say, no, I'm looking at the mechanism. What's the pathway? Why are we doing this? Right. It's not just a fast. The point of being able to do a, say a seven day fast isn't the seven day fast. It's to get there and be able to do a seven day fast whenever you want. Right. It's like going to a marathon, just showing up, grabbing a t-shirt and going, if I did that, I would really hurt myself, right? (laughs) Might might as well just buy the t-shirt and go home, right? Right. That's what I'm there for, the trophy. No, the point of doing a marathon is is the six months, the year leading up to it that you trained and you were disciplined and you you did what you need to do to get there. Mm -hmm. Same thing with a a long-term fast, you know? And fasting, there's phases. And people don't, go all the way through. The, f- the first phase is the prep. First, you got a plan. You, you better have a plan. You don't just say, okay, on Monday, let's go do a fast. Who's with me? On, like, on, like on social yeah, media. Yeah, you hear that all the time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so you make the plan and then you yeah. have a prep time. 
and you got to prep the right way because when you go, you want to then because in the prep there's food, there's nutrition concepts, there's you want to address insulin the best you can as you lead into that fast things like you want to get fiber out at a certain time, you want to change water consumption, and then as you go in, uh, there's the actual fast. So you got the prep, then the actual fast, and then. During the fast, you can support or not. And this is where people get all crazy. Like, is it a water fast or is it a dry fast or is it, they call it dirty fast? I'm like, man. Or juice fast. (laughs) Or juice fast. And then there's the break the fast refeeding. And then there's the post fast regimen, which nobody is doing out there, which I can get to. But the the point of doing it is you, you, you get stable going into it. You go through the fast. Your body, you already have insulin a little bit lower. You go in there, insulin drops, okay? Blood sugar drops, ketones from, from burning fat go up and, and then the body starts working on fat and ketones. So it's, it becomes fat adaptive. And then it, within a certain amount of time, depending on the person, you know, anywhere from 18 hours to 72 hours, a process kicks in to start cleaning the body to, to really detoxify. It's called autophagy. A lot of people know about that now. And what that is, is, is immune cells go out and they start picking up broken cells, old cells that aren't working too good. It'll even pick up uh, bacteria and virus and, is, and also precancerous early cells as well. Dr. Seyfried, uh, that wrote the textbook, Cancer is a Metabolic Disease, he says one seven-day water fast a year would eliminate the formation of 97% of new cancers. Really? And that's a researcher. This is not a you know, holistic dude. This is a researcher for years. This is his thing. And it's because of the autophagy breaks it down. So it breaks, it breaks it down. When it, we break down the cells, that stimulates the body to say, hey, we're losing cells. We're recycling cells. So we need to replace some cells. And what happens is this, the, the bone marrow and the spleen starts making stem cells. Stem cells. Like we're talking brand new cells. We're not talking about a cell that divided in one, you know, we're talking a brand new cell. Wow. Right? Naive, they call it a naive cell. New telomeres, new genes, everything. Like a baby cell, like an embryonic. And so then that, that stem cell goes wherever the body needs to and it implants into the brain. So we can have a new brain cell and it implants in the heart. Heart cell goes in the muscle. Muscle cell, wherever it needs, liver, liver cell. And it gets in there and it, and it joins up and it hooks up and it becomes new cells for our tissues and organs. Talk about anti-aging or growing anew, right? You know, turning yeah. back the clock. It's fantastic. People pay a lot of money to get that stuff injected in the, you know, on a regular basis and you can make them yourselves. Right. So then, so you, now you got the stem cells, they're being, imp- they're being put into the tissue that we need. And then you come off, well, as you come off the fast, you want to do it in a good way so that you don't disrupt that process. Cause it's going to continue for a while once you, from the food you're eating. Yeah. So like if you get off a fast the next thing you know, you're, you're hitting a bunch of uh, insulin foods bunch of yeah. carbs or, or processed foods, or even a bunch of heavy protein foods, because protein can met, stop that process as well. Because the, the actual autophagy, the breakdown of the cells, the cleanup part is controlled by a thing called mTOR, mammalian target of rhabdomyosin. mTOR is to amino acids and protein what insulin is to carbs. Uh-huh. Very similar. They work very similar. And so if too much mTOR gets stimulated, boom, shuts off autophagy. Too much insulin gets stimulated, boom, shuts off repair right there. Goes into growth. That's not what we want. So we got to keep that hormonal profile going. You keep those cells kicking in, and then you got to keep them. If you don't have a good regimen for at least four, six weeks after to, to, re- to train those cells into their new tissue, they get recycled up to like 95%. We'll just uh-huh. be gone. So people do this fast. They did all this stuff to do this fast. They got through it, and they don't support it all the way through, and they just that's a lot of work to burn through some brand new stem cells. So really? there's phases to it. So when they just say, Oh, I'm just going to fast. I'm just this. It's, I mean, it's a lifestyle. It's like chiropractic. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. You know, you right. got to commit to it. It does a lot of parts to it. It's not just, and it's definitely not just skipping breakfast. That drives me <laughs> crazy all the time. This intermittent fasting. Traditionally intermittent fasting means you do a 24 hour fast multiple times over a period of time, intermittently up to whatever you want up to a week is what it really was. And that was yeah. intermittent fasting. So they started coming out with that. I was like, oh, yeah. it's called, we used to call that meal timing. You know, but, you know, <laughs> we, so, in our office, we had a definition of, of, of diets. And we had this one diet. We called it the basic human eating plan. Now it would be called paleo. And then we had the high fat version, which now would be keto. You know, it's just funny how these, because they used to make fun of us. Now they're all doing it. Just crazy. That's interesting. So let's, let's go on the other. So well, before we move on, 
So if someone was going to do a seven day fast um, with the prep time and then the post time, like how much time is that? Is that like three months or something like that? Well, in my, the backbone of my program for the nutrition side has what I call a progressive fasting rotation calendar. And we ah. map it out in the six months is all mapped out. No two weeks back to back are the same. We right. change it. We change, we use meal timing, meal spacing, meal, food combining. We use uh, intermittent fasting, traditional. We use alternate day concepts and then we work our way up to full block fasts. And, but it's, it's gradual because here's, mm. you have to retrain the body. You have to be in metabolic shape to do that. Like the marathon. Right. right? And if you do it, I learned, I analyze every weight loss and diabetes prevention and diabetes program you can imagine preparing to go to these big medical boards and, and pitch. And I, I learned a lot of stuff. And there's there's different definitely certain points in programs where if you don't if something's not met, they drop out. You know, like hunger is the number one reason people drop out of any health or weight loss program. So you go, okay, how do we deal with that? And there's certain points. So what I did is I created these different the pattern of the of the calendar with the different things that they're doing so that it, I, they would do what's called a soft catch. You'd be like, I know they're coming here and you just kind of, and they didn't even know and you kept them going. And so the, the follow through and the success rate went up dramatically with mm -hmm. that. And so, yeah, so the first thing in the process is we want to get insulin under control. Eventually it'll function better, but we at least want to get the, the numbers down. Yeah. Cause then, then we do that and we get cortisol as well. Cause we have a resilience section and to it as well, all along with sleep. And if cortisol and insulin just just get just play a little bit nice. They're not fixed yet. They just play a little bit nice. They stop terrorizing ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone, and leptin, which is the satiation hormone. And what we saw was people who had decades of emotional eating as a, as a base of their problem suddenly didn't have it anymore. No more emotional eating. No more cravings. No more hunger. I think acute hunger is aberrant. I think that that doesn't exist, and we're we got something wrong there. And so if you go into, you're doing this process and you go in, you're coming up to these bigger fasts and you're not hungry, there's no cravings, there's no emotional eating, it's a heck of a lot easier. I've never had anybody not be able to do the fasting on the program. I've had some people, we had to choose a different route because they were pregnant or breastfeeding, but that was a choice. No one got there and couldn't do it. But I'll tell you, 80% when they see the, the calendar, they're like, I can't do that. No way. Like at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't tell them. I don't show it to them until after they pay. Right. You know, I'm not, <laughs> otherwise uh, I get nobody. Right. And they, and they all, we, by the time you get there, go up to, it's about the middle of the program. You get to the middle of the program, you hit the high point, they get through it. And then we bring them back down to the backside. Mm, and then you got this, you got the metabolic exercise pairing in there. We have sleep element, stress element, all sorts of stuff. Now let's go the opposite way because, um, uh, one of the other posts I remember you writing about was, uh, people saying to increase their metabolism, they eat more frequently per, during the day. And, and just in a general basis, how you're recommending less frequent because, because, because we get some people, for example, who've been really burnt out, like they're, they're totally burnt out, but they're actually, they're actually not eating enough. So that, well, or at least they're, they're eating later in the day. Like they don't have breakfast and they wait till later on. So it'd be like the intermittent fast that you're just talking about, but they're not doing well. And, 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 like, for example, um, I did a lot of work with Dr. Michael Hall. So I kind of burnt my adrenal glands out pretty bad. Uh, well, maybe, maybe it was insulin too, because this was like 10 years ago. And he had suggested that I have some protein earlier in the day to help with that. And, and that did help come, come around and have a little bit of protein during my, my shift. So if I'm, if I'm adjusting for like, say seven hours and there's like a three hour chunk and a four hour chunk, I wasn't eating throughout that whole period of time, but I was already burnt out. So I was just curious about that idea between eating a little bit more frequently uh, if your de demand's on and then eating less frequently yeah. like you're talking about in that post. Well, in studying these programs and looking back to the origin, how do they come about? Who put these in place? Which is what guided the, the American dietary standards back right. in 1982. That's when this came out. Now we have 40 years of data on it. And right. I'm looking at it going, oh, we got to learn something. For Not only did it not prevent diabetes. Right. It made more people Argu heavy. It's, it's argument. You can make a good argument that it made people worse. And, and all it did is delay it maybe three years, three and a half years, but everyone, they, the same statistics still got it, which is kind of sad. So anyway, looking at that, the reason they came up with the multiple meals is not because of metabolism. It's because they were trying to avoid reactive hypoglycemia. Because ah. when people eat junk, 
especially very, uh, you know, that spikes your insulin, spikes your blood sugar very easily. Yeah. It comes down really fast. And when it comes down really fast, it goes, goes like this up and then comes down below where they were. That's the reactive part. It'll go down, the blood sugar will go down lower than it was before when it started. And that create, that's the number one trigger for hunger, acute hunger, what we're calling acute hunger. Right. So they know that if it went too low, they would come back up and they'd be hungry and they'd eat a lot more. So that's what they wanted to avoid. And all, so all they're trying to do is keep the blood sugar like this, right. not the insulin, but the blood sugar. Right. And what they didn't realize is here's, here's the blood sugar being nice and calm. Every time you eat, insulin's getting hit. And it doesn't go down as fast as blood sugar. So it's going up. And at the end of the day, you're starting, you're ending higher than you started. And over time, that number goes up and up and up. And that's what part of what contributes to insulin resistance over time was too much. So that's the thing, uh, the multiple meals. And then they went low cal, low fat, daily restrictions. That's the other thing that messes people up. And that's why people who are doing intermittent fasting over time can see themselves go backwards or plateau uh, with that because they keep doing the same thing every day. That's why I have a fasting rotation. No two weeks are the same. Right. The body likes the start, stop, start concept, like interval training, up yes. and down, up and down, right? It's a better workout metabolically. Uh, you take walks, it's better to do multiple small walks than it is one long walk because it's just it's starting and stopping these systems, starting and stopping these systems. And the body likes that a lot. And so we just carried that on and, and we, we rolled that right into our, our gig. So, because what happens is whatever you're doing every day the same, you adapt to it. Just like if you do the same workout every day, right. eventually doesn't do much for you, right? So they were doing low calorie, low fat, whole, whole nine yards, multiple meals. So they're hitting insulin. So low calorie, but high insulin, low fat, high insulin, body eventually adapts. So they lose some weight. Usually the average is like eight to 12 pounds, right? right. And then they lose it and then they stop. And then the only answer they would get is, well, okay, cut a little bit more. So they, they started off cutting off 500 calories. Now they cut maybe 300 more. And, and we would get people, they're coming in, they're at 1,000 calories a day and they can't yeah. lose weight. And they got weight to lose. Because the same thing, what also happens is as it stays steady, 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 the metabolism goes, okay, cool. You know, we're only getting 1,500 calories a day. We'll we're gonna, adapt to it. We're going to adjust our budget. Right, totally. You know, and it's not going to overspend. Body, the body doesn't overspend. And then you cut it a little bit more. They make it a couple more pounds, but then it adapts. And then they feel like crap. They're not sleeping. They don't have the energy. Brain fog starts kicking in. And if you continue eating that way, your high insulin exposure, then you start building, uh, you start building uh, insulin resistance, which causes liver fat, eventually pancreas fat, and it's just the whole cascade of what we know. What's on the insulin resistance spectrum kicks in. Yeah, and once it's the, the big the big elephant in the room is this with even with natural people, once they're in that on that path, or say they're type two diabetic, just lowering their blood sugar to normal does not change their future. You they, you can make someone type you can take a type two diabetic and you can keep them type two diabetic with normal blood sugar with a drug with a supplement or something like that if you're just doing that because the problem is not the blood sugar it's the insulin if that still stays a problem. They're still going to get all the, the, the sequelae that comes from it. They're still going to die earlier. So they'll be miserable in the last 10 years. So they'll be expensive, but they'll have, not, they'll have good blood sugar, right? right? So we have to work on that metabolism, that mechanism, that metabolic function changes so that now the insulin changes, the blood sugar eventually changes. Mm-hmm. You know? and, it, and it usually happens pretty fast. Blood sugar is pretty quick. You can get someone's blood sugar down in a week or two. You know, pretty easy with a lot of things. But getting that insulin response and that resistance to, to change on a cellular and organ level, that takes more. It can be takes done. More. It can be done. Now, to give an example, I know it, you're more, it's more specific because everybody's individual. But say, for example, somebody's listening to this and they go, oh, I think I've been jacking my insulin too much for a long time. Um, what are some basic principles that people could uh, start doing? Because again, you you said it's going to take time. Like it's just like chiropractic care, we got to get we got it. We got we get immediate ease after an adjustment, but you need to keep that up to create sustained ease. And it'd be the same thing, I'm sure, with the nutrition. Um, what are some things that chiropr- chiropractors could do that maybe just help to kind of not jack that out so much? Yeah, I call it in my word world is the insulin friendly diet and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what's got to chime in your head, and. You know, it's like, it's like people always ask, what's your favorite detox? What do you use for detox? I said, nothing. What's your favorite? I said, you just stop retoxing. 
There you go. That's step one, right? Right. So you want to detox? Sounds too detox easy. Detox. It can't be that easy. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Don't want to do that. How else can I do it? You know, isn't there a pill? Yeah. You know, or an herb or whatever. Yeah. So the th- you stop doing the offensive. You learn what the offensive behavior is, which, you know, from the nutrition side, you got to get insulin exposure down from your foods. So there's an insulin index. It's different than the glycemic index. Something can have a low glycemic index and still have a high insulin, which is mm. confusing for people. Uh, but we teach that. And so you get, so you stop taking it in that way. And then with your body, you got to start moving certain ways. And sometimes a good exercise at the wrong time isn't helping or can actually make things worse. What you need to do is you need to increase your, um, uh, your glycogen flexibility in your muscles. Bottom line, glycogen that stores sugar for the muscles in the muscles, the capacity to store that uh, sugar can vary 4,000% in someone who's sedentary versus like a competitive athlete. That's a wow. huge window. And so it's, it's not one size fits all. It's not once you have it, you always have it. You got to open that up and you got to be able to move sugar in and out of that muscle easily. Easy, that, that's a big reservoir before the spillover happens with other problems. And so you got to, so that's the physical side, intensity training, short duration, high intensity, stuff like that. So that's diet. That's the basic fundamentals. And then there's, that's what you eat. That's how you move. There's also when you eat. And like you said earlier, first thing you do is just eat three meals a day, no snacking. Just do that for me. In the big population health uh, studies, you know, I didn't meet these people. I, I lectured them once a week. They had coaches that they worked with. Um, so I had to make things simple and effective and layer them in. And right. one of the things we learned is that the average person shifting to three meals a day and not snacking makes a big difference in their life and their metabolic life. It'll change their biomarkers. It'll, they'll lose weight. They'll feel better. Even if they don't change what they eat. I don't recommend that, right? You could do a lot more. But, you know, because these are people, these are very innocent, humble people, they didn't sign up for this. Their, their job kind of gave it to them and said, you, you get some swag if you do it. They didn't pay for it. So it's, it's really a weird interaction. So they did it. And I would, one coach brought me this woman. Uh, she's like, I can't deal with Mary anymore. Can you please talk to her? I'm like, okay. And I talked to her. She's a very nice lady uh, somewhere in the Midwest, deep South. I don't remember. And she said, doc, don't worry about me. I got this down. I said, great. What's, what, what are you eating? She's I every morning for breakfast, I have juice and vegetables. So I start the day off. Right. I'm like, great. That's fantastic. Mary. I'm like, what's the problem? What, what do you have for breakfast? She was every day when I get to work, I go to the vending machine. I get my Funyuns and my Mountain Dew. That's her. That's her first snack. Yeah. And her juice. Oh, geez. Juice. And vegetables. That's oh. her, no, that's her breakfast. That's what she was called. Oh, that's what she was defining vegetable or vegetables and fruit. Wow. Fruit juice, she was saying. So yeah, it's yeah. not fruit. And so, and, and, that, and she was serious, right? And so, you know, you get people who are doing some, that are driving for a living or night workers. And so if you, we learned that if you just get them to only, just stop snacking and eat three meals a day, they, their pants will shift, their energy will shift, and their blood markers will shift. Because Here's the other thing. In those studies, if they didn't meet a certain uh, goal, we didn't get paid. So I was highly motivated. I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> that's why we, we if we put out six different strategies, if you do maybe three of them, twenty percent, they'll still get there, right? right? So that's what we learned to do is combine the right things at the right time, and it compounded the effect. So you don't have to change everything in your life one hundred percent, but if you get these three, four, five different things and change them twenty percent, the net gain is huge. Right. Well, I think that's the key with anything is finding what's the least amount of change you can do to give you the most amount of results. Right. Yeah. Now eating in the morning, just curious, like, um, do you recommend, I know it might be different with each person, but eating like closer to when you wake up or once you've been awake or does that make a difference? There's yeah, it does. The, the, the research shows a pretty good difference. Like for example, when people do intermittent fasting, they're, they're skipping breakfast. Yeah. In reality, the studies show, especially for women, if they ate breakfast and skipped dinner, it'd be much better, be up to 30% better results. But try talking someone into skipping dinner at their family every night. It's hard. I did a 30-day fast and I was still cooking for my family. And that was the hardest part. I had to make like a little bowl of, of broth so I could sit there and not just stare at them and then stare at me when I'm not eating, right? Never mind cook their food. So, yeah. you know, there are things like that. And we talk about that pyramid stacking your meals where you have big... Uh, breakfast, medium at lunch and small at dinner. Sometimes, especially for men, we, we 
there's indications when you want to separate uh, veg or, and starch from protein, from animal protein or fat, and it makes a big difference. And which meal do you do that with? You know, usually it's lunch is the best. And so there are things like that. And they, I only bring them in when there's like an obstacle or, or stall or some, something because people don't usually want to change all that much, you know, but, but there are diff- definitely better ways to do it. The other side of it, fasting in today's world can be dangerous. Not because fasting is dangerous, because people are sick and they're on meds. You put the wrong, you start the wrong person too fast, or not watch them, and not know the warning signs of certain medication interactions with fasting. You can have a problem. Right. You can have a problem. I got I had an attorney call me, and we, <laughs> he was not happy with me, and it wasn't even my client. Someone online t- took my writings, printed it up, was given it to patients. Patient had a problem, passed out, hit her head, hospital stitches, concussion, the whole nine yards, and the, it went to the practitioner and said, yeah. "Hey, you you gave her this. What you're." It's under your license. No, no. I got it from Dr. Don Colon. He's, he gave it to me. I'm like, oh. didn't go very far, but it scared the hell out of me. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's when I really went into it. I went and took some seminars and, and really got into that side of it because that's a reality. And again, it's not because fasting is inherently bad or does this. It's when someone's, uh, it's like when if you're working with insulin, blood sugar naturally comes down. If they're still on a medication to lower blood sugar, they're going to bottom out. It goes really down. Yeah, totally. It goes fast. They're over-medicated. So I have a whole thing. Here's how you talk to your doctor. If you want him to talk to me, if he's or she is willing, no problem. They usually aren't. And But I give him the, so the language. You know, It's basically like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is why. I want to know how you can support me. Don't You're not asking permission. You know, right. You're not asking opinion. Just, right. I want to know. And if they can't support you, you got a decision to make, right? right. Things like that. Uh, then you, they, they're close with the prescriber. Things like thyroid that can be that can be an issue too. Uh, mm-hmm. With that, any any hormone replacement, including melatonin, can can be wonky, right? Really, yeah. And then the refeeding. If that's not you know, if, depending on the person, you, you do some weird stuff. Some people do weird stuff. I don't know why, but like when they're coming out of their fast, they'll triple their water intake, and that's not a good idea. You know, when you come out of fast, when you fast extended fast, you naturally uh, you start to dehydrate for that's just in its work. I don't know why. And so you drink more naturally and then they keep it up. And then when you're refeeding, you can have, it can actually cause a, a good amount of, uh, intestinal distress and things like that. Now, when I'm talking about interactions with medicine and health conditions, I have, I have some, um, posts on that. If people are interested, I'm talking about three days or more of straight fasting. I'm not talking right. intermittent fasting. Cause remember intermittent fasting is skipping breakfast, not fasting, right? Yeah. Just, when people, I, I go in these rooms because patients tell me, yeah. and I, I write down the questions I see. You know, how would I answer? I'm getting this data, and I just see this craziest stuff. And they, and it's like, oh, I've been fasting now for, you know, 17 hours, and I'm feeling, I'm like, 17 hours, really, <laughs> you know. But actually, the more the more you you talk about it, the more it does sound like um, it's like like you said, running the marathon, right? Um, if you, if you're really horribly out of shape, like running inherently isn't bad for you, but if you're horribly out of shape and you go running, <laughs> that could be yeah, catastrophic. Be yeah. yeah, totally. And there's other things you can do with fasting. Once you, once someone's is, is got that talent now or that skill, you can do things like we do things like, like, uh, anabolic rebounds where, especially with men where you train a certain way, you need a certain way going into a fast, you have supplements that support going through it. Then when you come out, you refeed a certain way, again, supplements that support it, mainly for group, because when you fast, your growth hormone goes up naturally. So you want to, hey, how do we help you do this, right? And right. insulin goes down. Hey, how do we keep that down? And then how do we, that mitochondria, they need, they need to work hard, you know, so we do that. And then when they come out of the fast, they refeed, they puff, they pop, you know, that's what natural bodybuilders have been doing things like that forever because they don't have the, the drugs. Yeah. And so it's just, piggybacking on that and, and it just gets you and they'll get they'll see veins they'll see things it's just you know even in the 40s 50s they'll see they'll see the change and so we do that we also do stuff with uh, a lot of stuff with peri and menopause yeah. uh, issues because insulin is the core root for a lot of female cycle issues mm-hmm. really bad pms it could be from that endometriosis definitely pcos is caused by insulin resistance some fibroids not all are, are either aggravated or, or caused with, by insulin resistance. And a lot of the, the um, symptoms of menopause, there's cultures out there that don't even have a word for menopause. It's not a big issue. And you look right. at them, like in the blue zones and stuff like that, you look at them and you see why. They, they have an insulin-friendly diet and lifestyle. Right. 
And then there's the guys, you got to talk to them too. Cause they all want to be bigger, stronger, faster. When I had the gym, all the high school kids taking tubs of this and tubs of that. I'm like, Oh, get them off all that junk. Right. It's hard. It's hard. Cause I, then there's, you can, if you're overly muscular, you have the same problems in lifespan as someone who's morbidly obese, just about. And people don't like to like, hear that, you know, power lifters, bodybuilders, big guys for a long time. You just cut your life down. Right. Because I call it the, the law, the, the excess tissue hypothesis. Tissue is tissue. And if you got X amount over your limit, fat or muscle, you're going to wear down the system. And we learned that from the Okinawans in, in Japan, the Centenarians, right? They want to know, this village is very isolated. This amount of people live to be 100. This amount of people live to be 75. But they, every, when they isolated everything around them, the only thing that they saw different was their height. That's the only thing they could isolate. The difference between being 75 or living to 100 appeared to be three inches in height, which really pissed me off because I'm 6'4". I'm like, great, I'm dumb, dumb, done, right? And my kids are I'm like, 6'4", like, too, so we yeah. both be screwed. I'm like, oh. And so that, that's when it really, we started shifting. In the, we had powerlifting teams at the gym and we, high school, starting at seven years old, up through high school, adults. We competed nationally on that. And, and the whole mantra was be as strong as you can, as light as you can. Right. At the lightest weight. Yeah. Strong, right? The only, and we, we teach the only way to grow more muscle fiber, to really grow more muscle, is elongation, right? It's concentric contraction. You know, it's, and when you get puffed up, you know, you get, you get hypertrophy, you're, there's no more muscle there than, than any, anyone else. It's just, it's just different. It just blows up. So we talk about that, you know. I was just going to say, you had one more post that was really interesting about the uh, amino acids, uh, like the, the drinks for at the gym oh. while you're working out. I was just interested in that. So t- tell maybe the listeners about that. Because a lot of times the idea behind it is that you work out and then you take the amino acids oh, yeah. and then it helps to restore and build tissue right away or something after. I get more junk talk from the gym rats on this stuff than I get from anybody else, even within the vaccine people, right? They, they, they just, man, they go after me. Branch chain amino acids, when they're isolated, like in a powder or a drink, they stimulate the crap out of insulin, worse than sugar. Wow. Same thing with mo- all powdered proteins. See, what happens, the whole story about how insulin and, and blood sugar works is wrong. and we, but, but it's an easy tell, so they keep saying it. You eat something, you'd start to digest it in your stomach and upper intestine. Your body interprets that. There's hormones called incretin hormones. I have that book right here. I was just going through it. And those incretin hormones go in and they stimulate the first phase of insulin response. That's up to 70% of insulin is coming in that first phase. And that food's not even in the bloodstream yet. It hasn't hit the pancreas. When it finally gets in there and hits the pancreas, that's the second phase, right? A little bit after to kind of make up the difference. So... Your body's interpreting it, not just sensing protein, fat, carb. It's interpreting it. And so when things are really broken down, like a flour or a powder of any kind, the body or really processed, yeah. the body, I don't know why, but it just cranks up the insulin. It's almost like it, it's, it doesn't know what to do. Doesn't, so you take 30 grams of pure protein of protein powder and 30 grams of red meat, chicken, whatever you want. And in the same amount of protein, exactly, eat them. Insulin response is completely different. Powders, yeah. go, especially like whey protein, yeah. branched chain amino acids. So if you're taking, here's the deal. Here's why this is bad because insulin works on a teeter totter with human growth hormone, which is what you're trying to do when you work out. Right. So you do this great workout, you get this surge going, and at night you're waiting because at night's when it comes out. You're gonna you're gonna get that surge, but what happens is you take that shake, that glorified milkshake, that protein shake, or just the branched chain amino acids at that moment cranks up insulin. And guess what happens to that teeter totter? Boom. Growth hormones down. You just, just, you just kicked yourself in the foot. Right it's so funny. Cause that's such a, 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 like, even just when I was, I had a trainer that was, it's just so funny. Cause it's just, that's what everybody does. A lot of it comes or, because of the big boys, right? You know, when you're, when you're jacked on a whole bunch of steroids and hormones, you can do things differently than they can do things differently than you and I. And we look at them and say, Oh, I want to do that. I want to look like, yeah, it's any the same, man. You don't have the chemistry. Let's just put it that way. Right. And so they take a lot of stuff. And because I worked with professional bodybuilders, powerlifters, athletes, and I work with them natural. I work with them when they're on cycle. I've worked with them off cycle and I've worked with them later in, in their life when they're trying to have a normal life after, you know, running a chemistry set for 20 years. 
Right. You know, so it's it's something. So it's different. They have a different physiology and metabolism. You can't compare. So I think that's where a lot of that comes from. That's interesting. Well, if there's any, you know, any chiropractors out there that were, were interested in working with you um, or learning more about what you do, uh, what, what's the best way they can either follow you or get information from you? Yeah. My personal Facebook page is Don Clum. You can follow, you can friend request with a note. Let me know. Um, I'm constantly trimming and, and moving that one around, but I use my personal because you just have a little more flexibility than I did yeah. on my, my, my professional just was tanking. I don't you know, I pay for everything. So I just, right. and that's where I just, that's where I educate. I don't, there's no click and buy. There's no pitch on my Facebook page. So if you just want to go and learn this stuff, I have hundreds of posts on all this stuff over the years. I have dozens of the medical or the continuing education slides that I use for medicine and chiropractic and nutrition. And when I teach it, I have videos on there. I have podcasts, interviews like this from years past. And so it's all free and you can all go check it out. And then at any time, go ahead and comment or shoot me a message and question and then go from there. That's awesome. So when people work with you, do they just reach out? Do you have a website or do they just reach out to you and email you? Right through, right through Facebook. Okay. Yeah. No, they, they send me a message. We start to connect and we see where it goes. Usually I just set up like a meet and greet call just to say, Hey, what are you looking for? I don't want some crazy expectations. Here's yeah. how I work. If it's, a, if it's good, we move from there. If not, give them some pointers and that's it. That's cool. Now, just a fun question. If you were to fly back through time, and, and be able to talk to yourself when you're 18, what, what would you say to your younger self? <laughs> wow. For advice or, or, or if you had like fatherly advice to yourself when you're younger. Well, that was a really tough time for me. I had, I was a big baseball player. I was uh, signed to go to play with the Colorado Rockies. Ah. And they just opened the franchise. And that year I got in a car accident. And I lost it all. Wow. And so I was, I would go to that guy and say, Pick your head up. It ain't over because I was ready to drop out of school. I, I, I didn't know. I was done. And um, I would, that, was, that was hard. I, was, I would just turn his head around and say, hey, it ain't over. You got some good stuff coming. You know, might not be baseball, but you got good, some good stuff and, and jump on that. So that's what I would say. That's awesome. That's great. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join us on the podcast. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. I love it. Anytime you want, as you can tell, I can talk about this all day. That's great. No. And, and again, listeners out there, like if you enjoyed this, uh, like uh, reach out, ask some questions. Um, if we have any specific things, we might have them on again, just if we can run some scenarios by them and just kind of help everybody out because we, we know the more chiropractors we work with, um, you know, we, we help them work on practice, like maybe 20% and then 80% we're working on the either personal development or increasing the vitality of the chiropractors themselves, because as soon as chiropractors feel stronger and feel and, and more focused in their brain, it affects all areas of their life. And so, uh, so this is super helpful. That's why a lot of chiropractors refer me people because I'm, I'm working within the same philosophy and tenets as chiropractic. Never right. will I conflict with that. They don't have, they're not going to lose a patient to me. They're not going to hear something different than the, the chiropractic message. Every person I work with and talk to gets re recommended a chiropractor, referred when applicable. And so it's very synergistic. And uh, I like that too, because I know when they're coming from a chiropractic's office, I know, you know, kind of what I'm going to deal with when they're coming off the street or even from a medic's office. You don't yeah, know, man. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, thanks so much for, uh, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. And for everybody else there, don't forget to shift on. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've received value from this episode, please share this with a fellow chiropractor and take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever your favorite place is to listen to podcasts. If you're interested in learning more about our programs and events, please visit www.thevitalityshift.com or connect with me on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out.